Hello, welcome to Full Time with Meg Linehan. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, which is all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, as it says in the title, Meg Linehan, and I'm a staff writer at the Athletic, covering the NWL and the U.S. Women's National Team. And welcome back. I am back after an attempt at vacation, which mostly went well. And then my first day back to work this past Monday, my dog ended up at the vet with a minor injury and is now sitting next to me in a cone. Um, she is both sullen and confused about this turn of events, but she is already fully back to running and begging for food. And we are we are fully back here, and we are kicking off 2021 here at Full Time with Megalyn Nahan with Shireen Ahmed, a freelance writer, activist, public speaker, host of Burn It All Down, and a good friend to boot, even if we discuss later, uh, we might end up on hop opposite sides of the not-so-friendly USA-Canada hockey rivalry. But before I fully get back into the swing of things here, while our holiday promo might have ended, you can still start off your 2021 with a full year of women's soccer coverage, plus everything else we have to offer at The Athletic, including WNBA, MLS, plenty more, by visiting theathletic.com slash full-time, and we have an offer running for listeners of this podcast for $3.99 a month for your new subscription right now. Again, if you subscribe via that link, you are helping to show that we have been building a market for women's soccer coverage here at The Athletic. So if you want in for this full year of coverage through the NWSL Challenge Cup, round two, right? And then the return to a regular season plus the Olympics in a full year for the U.S. Women's National Team, that's theathletic.com slash full-time. So while the pace wasn't quite at the speed that we are all used to, the news did, Keep coming during the holiday break with more trades and signings happening around the league, including the bigger ones of Mal Pugh and Sarah Waldmo to Chicago and Emily Sonnet to Orlando. But one piece of news that I really want to focus on is the new shift happening where the U.S. national team players are now allowed to turn down U.S. soccer-funded NWSL salaries, which is commonly referred to as allocation status, in order to sign directly with their teams for allocation money. This is... Intensely confusing, I understand. But I, I do have a story with more on this coming soon, and Jeff Kasouf has done <clears throat> excuse me, a really solid job reporting all of this out at Equalizer Soccer for the, for the first round. Now, I've been told by sources that five players are going to be making this shift, though my understanding is that league folks are, are counting Lynn Williams in that mix, as she was essentially a test case without any of us really knowing that when she signed her long-term contract deal with The Courage in 2020. Now, obviously, that five number is still really only a fraction of the team, but it does now give the teams a method to have a bit more control over players, also transfers and loans, right? And most importantly, we're finally starting to see the shift to greater financial responsibility from the league and its teams, which is only a good thing. All right, more news. On Tuesday, Alex Morgan shared via Twitter that she had tested positive for COVID-19. She wrote, unfortunately, my family and I closed out 2020 learning that we had contracted COVID while in California over the holidays. We are all in good spirits and recovering well. After our isolation is completed, I will follow U.S. soccer's return to play guidelines to ensure my body is fully recovered and I can join my teammates back on the field soon, but safe and happy new year. So as we found out with the release of the January camp roster on Wednesday, that also meant that she was in fact ruled out of this camp, uh, as well as Two friendlies that the Federation also announced as part of the team's camp this month. So, the U.S. will face off against Colombia on January 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern. That match will be on FS1. Then again on January 22nd at 7 p.m. Eastern with that match on ESPN2. Both games will be held at Exploria Stadium in Orlando, home to the Pride. The camp roster includes 27 players. 
Head coach Flacco Andonofsky will still need to pick two game day rosters of 18 players for the friendlies against Colombia. Now here is the camp roster by position. All right, so for goalkeepers, we have Aubrey Bledsoe of the Washington Spirit, Jane Campbell of Houston Dash, Ashlyn Harris is back from Orlando Pride, and Alyssa Nair of the Chicago Red Stars. Ten defenders on the list, Alana Cook from PSG, Abby Dahlkemper from North Carolina, Tierna Davidson from Chicago, Crystal Dunn, now with Portland Thorns FC, of course, Emily Fox out of UNC, Allie Krieger is back as well out of Orlando, Kelly O'Hara, now with the Washington Spirit, Midge Purse, Sky Blue FC, Becky Sauerbrunn, Portland Thorns, and Emily Sonnet, Washington Spirit. Eight midfielders, Julie Ertz from Chicago, Lindsey Horan, Portland, Jalen Howell out of Florida State, Rose Lavelle, Manchester City, Katerina Macario out of Stanford. Christy Mewis has uh, continued her call-ups out of Houston Dash. Samantha Mewis also back in town uh, from Manchester City, and Andy Sullivan makes her return from the Washington Spirit. Only five forwards on this roster. Carly Lloyd is back from Sky Blue FC. Mallory Pugh also back. Chicago Red Stars. Morgan Rap- <laughs> Megan Rapino. O.L. Rain. It's been a while since we've heard her name. Sophia Smith. Portland Thorns FC. And Lynn Williams, North Carolina Courage. All right, so some notes. First, fans will be allowed at these two matches, though limited to a max capacity of 4,000. Now, considering the state of the pandemic in the country at the moment, I mean, everything is just sort of wild that we are playing through this, right? Um, None of this feels particularly great, though the teams will be in this kind of highly controlled environment, uh, though that highly controlled environment is still in Florida. But anyway, a lot of players back from injuries and time away Again, including Megan Rapino, Carly Lloyd, Mal Pugh, and Andy Sullivan. Some names that won't be there in addition to Alex Morgan's Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. Here is the official update on both, just straight out of the U.S. Soccer release. Forward Kristen Press, who's currently playing for Manchester United in England and missed her final three FA Women's Super League matches before the holiday break due to non-COVID illness, will remain in England as she works to regain her fitness. Forward Tobin Heath, who is also currently playing for Manchester United, was invited to training camp but will remain in Manchester to complete in her to compete in her January FA Women's Super League fixtures. One more notable name, Katarina Macario just earned her third call up to the senior national team, but she's still not eligible yet to play for the US, though the Federation's update is that she is in the quote final stages of the process to become eligible. So for more on the January camp, my latest is up at the Athletic featuring thoughts from Blacko. All right, so before I bring on Shereen, I did just want to read a little bit of her final article of 2020 for TSN called After an Agonizing Year, Sport Must Be a Vehicle for Change in 2021. If you haven't read it, the link to her piece is in the notes for this episode. Are sports worth it? Sports are only worth it if we use them for good, not if sports uses black and brown or young and vulnerable bodies for lining the pockets of rich white men. And not if we play the games, but forget the names of the innocent people who lost their lives this year. We are nearing the end of what might have been the most challenging year in recent memory. Sports is a vehicle for empowerment and change in society. We don't have the answers, but we have hope and we have ideas. Consistently implementing these ideas individually and collectively must be a part of our path forward, carrying a load and fiercely examining our own privilege, be it race, gender, ability, education, or economic. 
and using it in order to help instill real change is what we need to do. We can't be on the bench in 2021. So here's Shireen. All right. So I want to, I have a whole list of things for you today, but I do want to start with your, your big uh, article from the end of 2020 that was on TSN um, about what we need sports to be, right? That we can't sit on the bench. And what I wanted to start with, this is actually kind of a concept that I had brought up with both Kavitha Davidson and, and Jessica Luther, who is also your co-host on Burn It All Down, when they were on the show discussing discussing their book. But one of the things that I think we are all grappling with right at the moment is this concept of playing sports through a pandemic. And there is a very distinct difference, I feel like, when it comes to women's sports being played through a pandemic. And part of that is, I'm sure, just my brain and how it looks at things, but obviously Challenge Cup. Um, you also mentioned in the article NWHL about to enter a bubble, getting its first really significant television deal and trying to hold these concepts together of like, we're making huge, huge strides in women's sports in a way that we've never seen before, but also we are still in a pandemic. And it's not impossible to hold those two things together, but it does obviously make for challenges. And I'm just wondering, as you are writing that article, like where is women's sports kind of in your head as you're thinking through this this theme of change and new ideas and changing how we use sports in 2021? For me, I think part of the article was born out of, I'm going to start explaining the year. And I don't know if you could sense in the midway in the article, I was literally like, I don't know what happened in April. Like I legitimately cannot <laughs> tell you what happened in April because I don't remember. And so the, I hope that that's so much of the emotion with which I was like writing and the lens at which I looked at this. And for me, women's sports, I was very happy when Challenge Cup came up, but I had a lot of questions. I was very concerned about the safety of the players. It was still pretty early in the, well, we didn't know it was going to be early in the pandemic, but in this pandemic life, it was in the first, I guess, iteration of lockdown or what you want to call it. And the fact that it was so successful is great, but it's a testament to the way things can be organized. Now, Challenge Cup and the way that the NWSL handled it was, in my opinion, a one-off. Um because that's not the way that men's sports works at all. They're not collaborative. They're very much this sort of tyrannical, like rollout of things that's steeped in pseudo traditions and patriarchy that's super toxic. And I just, I'm not saying that women's sports are infallible. Like I have a lot of concerns about the NWHL as well, um, particularly that they're in the United States. I um, have worries about that. I have worries about like the traveling. I, but I am also one of these people that people that take COVID seriously. I actually really do. I didn't say this publicly, but my son tested positive in December, and the stress. And I don't go anywhere. I'm in Canada. I have universal health care. It was terrifying. He was largely asymptomatic, but the stress that brought with it. I have parents that are immunocompromised who I couldn't see for that duration, and we all had to isolate. Like, this is very real. I take it very seriously because I've had family members who have died from this disease. And I worry because also racialized women in marginalized communities are disproportionately affected by COVID. And that's something that concerns me generally in, in sport and with this pandemic. I also, you know, saw the emotional burnout of players, whether it was walk-offs in the NBA, the WNBA who had been 
so, so, like they were the pillars of this entire blueprint of how to do things in social justice activism. You know, Brianna Stewart being selected as player of the year notwithstanding. I mean, we all have to keep learning and unlearning, but there was that blueprint. Do I think that other leagues are responsible enough to do that? No, but this is part of what we grapple with and very much what Jess and Kavitha's book was about, but how do we continue to love and support things when everything's burning down around us? How do we cheer on women's soccer when we're so excited for it and we want this? I got a CBS access pass not only because I stand Sandra Herrera, but because I wanted to see this soccer. When else would I have ever bought a CBS access pass? Like, no offense to CBS, but like, I'm brown. I'm going to get a shady like box for, (laughs) or maybe not, maybe not me. So (laughs) like, the thing is that you want to, you want this to go forward. Same thing with the Olympics. We're an Olympic year. Um, or are we? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, TBD. TBD again. And what that means in Olympic soccer for some countries, particularly in women's soccer, showcases and, you know, the qualification rounds and everything. It gives so many athletes, particularly from the global south, an opportunity to be seen where they might not otherwise. So I've, I grapple with this all the time. I mean, come on, I've loved soccer my whole life. It's like FIFA is like legitimately the worst place in the world. So how can I love this sport? And, you know, so this is a struggle. But Meg, we can love something and be critical of it at the same time. Yeah, which I think is a thing that a lot of people struggle because you want to come from this place of defensiveness, right? Instead of maybe just being like, I can go into this with eyes open and say, I love a thing. Also, it is not, nothing is ever going to be perfect, especially the way that sports are set up to make money, right? Like that, that is the fundamental driver of sports at this point, especially professional sports. And like, it's just at some point you kind of have to also say, okay, I'm going to look at this and not try to get defensive and say, like, I can love it and also it can do better. So I think on that note, like, looking at the NWSL, thinking about these ideas of change, what we can take into 2021, you know, I wrote about this a little bit at the tail end of the year, like, what would what would be some of the things that I would tackle if I were suddenly commissioner of the NWSL, which is a job I 1000% do not want. <laughs> but like where where do you see the the biggest areas of growth for NWSL? I mean, I think one of the first things I think is you have to like just sit down and listen to your black players and what they are telling you that they want and need. And I, you know, I've I've spoken with Lynn Williams, I've spoken with people at the league. Like I I don't know if they have fully crossed paths in a way that I personally would find satisfactory. I also would like to fundamentally think that the NWSL is not acting in a place of like ill will or or bad faith, right? But I think that there is a lot of potential for growth within the NWSL and for them to be more of a leader in the space. And, you know, from your from your point of view, where do you think those areas might be? Well, the Black Players Coalition was a huge, huge starting point for that. Like we've seen things happen. We've seen the Social Justice Committee and the WNBA, and you and I are both on the same side of that coin, at least. We both love liberty, but <laughs> like we've seen, because we know we kind of butt heads in other places. Um, but in terms of 
having problematic faves and being defensive. I mean, my God, I support Arsenal. I'm forever apologizing and being defensive for a wretched team. And like Barcelona, like, uh, you know, like being a Kool-Aid is very difficult. Their politics are terrible. They're literally the worst club ever and one of the richest in the world. So like, I struggle with this. But as far as the NWSL goes, they have an opportunity. They have an opportunity and in some almost like, an ability to rebrand and do it in a way that is so genuine and can listen. And like, I was ready for Ziara King to score. I was ready for her to cut. Like I, you know, love the NWSL. There's moments of joy there. There's moments like I can just watch Crystal Dunn all the time. Like Lynn Williams, like phenomenal, phenomenal black woman. And, you know, I think about media and I think about you, Meg, and amplifying these stories and writing about them and being so invested, like Steph Yang and the work that Steph does, and not just eating pizza rolls to raise money for trans legal funds. Like, we've got people doing the work above and beyond, which is how we live our lives. And I've seen a shift in soccer media, particularly women's soccer media. And I may be so bold to say it's high time that men's soccer will take cues from the women's soccer writers. Because, you know, there's some trailblazers out here and that are doing that work. And I, I will never just see it as the organization, the NWSL versus the players versus media. I think we're all in this together and we need to start bridging some of those gaps. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wanted to talk about coverage with you. I, I do want to take a step back, right? You know, obviously, Burn It All Down, the podcast, your work now for, for TSN. I, before we get into, I'd like to run through some of all of the various things that you do, but I do want to talk about the coverage and kind of some of those areas for opportunity, but also I think you're, you perfectly hit it on the head of like, fundamentally, I don't view myself as on a different side than the players or on a different side than the league. Like I think part of my role is to also hold the league accountable. Mm -hmm. That does not necessarily make me their enemy. That makes me (laughs) doing my job, right? But I think that, you know, this is a a concept that I've spoken a lot about to a lot of different people of like, are all of the boats pointing in the same direction? Are we all at least pointed in the same direction? Because that's like step number one. And are we even at that point yet? But in terms of maybe some of this diversity and, and telling different stories, right? I think that that has been a pretty solid focus for 2020. But, you know, you say like, maybe some of the men's league should be looking at us for inspiration. What are the things that you think maybe they could take away from NWSL coverage? Well, very much uh, player-centered narratives, I think is huge. Like we had Crystal Dunn on a really important conversation with Brenda on the show, Dr. Brenda Elsie. And really smart. I was part of the FAIR network conference that they had. And it was, it wasn't just this very performative, because I'm super sensitive to that, um, performative diversity inclusion piece and model that we suddenly knee jerk reaction in 2020 sports media starts to panic because there's not a lot, not enough racialized people in the industry. We know this, we've been telling you this, there's not enough queer community, disabled community. Like I know, I think I know two trans sports writers in the entire world. That's a problem. (laughs) Like that's a huge problem. And so I think that there's so many things that need to happen in a way while holding the joy and holding the positivity. Because, I mean, we could certainly just sit here and complain. Um, But that's what WhatsApp groups are for. Um, So I think that there's truly the the way that we've approached it. And, I mean, at one point, I think it was June, 
Dr. Amira Rose Davis is another beloved co-host of Burn It All Down. Amira did a thing. She had 11 incredible black women, including like a 13-year-old ballet like athlete, a ball- like a dancer, which is very much part of the, you know, athletic and sports world. I mean, they're incredibly dynamic and smart. And this young woman got on with so many others and talked about, including A.J. Andrews, Batuli Kamara, who are incredible women, and they talked about their grief and their pain. And this was a year to do that. It was a year that finally, finally kicked away the sports isn't political, which we've been struggling. You and I have been in this conversation for far too long. And if this year didn't finally put that to bed, I don't know what will. Like I constantly have, you know, conversations with people in in colleagues in the media about, well, you know, we should try to keep it. You're not uh, fair. You're not being objective, rather. Objectivity. So they argue that our anti-oppressive lens is not objective. And I was like, listen, Objectivity is not a rule of journalism. Fair and accurate reporting is. And I don't believe in this idea of objectivity because it's a social construct that was created by gatekeepers in our industry. And I I refuse to adhere to it. My reporting will be checked and double-checked, and my editors are a little extra checky with my stuff. So we get three (laughs) rounds of fact-checking just to make sure because people come at me, and they come at you hard. I mean, for what it's worth, I think you'd be amazing and WSL <laughs> commish, but I'm just joking. I'm just putting it to the universe because then you get to make the schedule, Meg. No one will keep asking you about the schedule. <laughs> I would still get the tweets, though. It wouldn't even, tweets. it wouldn't, yeah, it would still, it would only just be worse, probably, Terrible. because they would know then I'm actually responsible for it instead of it just being a joke. So. <laughs> no, I don't wish that on you because I love you. So someone else can deal with that. Yeah. All right. So I I do want to take this step back. Can you tell folks who might not listen to Burn It All Down what that is? Burn It All Down is a podcast that we started in 2017. When I say we, there's five of us on this podcast. There's me, Dr. Brenda Elsie, who's at Hofstra University. She's a Latinista, and she does a lot of work around soccer and um, has done incredible labor solidarity stuff with the Chilean women's team, Argentine women's team. Um, Dr. Amir Rose Davis is at Penn State. She is a professor of African-American and gender studies. Um, She's awesome and has recently become a Manchester United fan, and she's quite intense. So I'm kind of like trying to deal with that. Um, (laughs) And then Jessica Luther, who had on the show, she's an incredible independent investigative reporter. And Lindsay Gibbs, who's a creator of Power Plays, um, also independent reporter. And then there's me. And so... Um, they're all American and I'm not. That's not their fault or anything. I'm just saying that I'm the only Canadian. So I kind of hold down the women's hockey stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not to be too stereotypical. I do speak French and I love hockey and I'm a big, I mean, sometimes I butt heads with you about maple syrup because you're all like up in this Vermont-ish, but it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. To be fair, whenever we, you know, when we were able to go to Canada and went to Montreal, my wife and I definitely brought home a lot of maple syrup from Canada and just kind of like hit it and pretended like, you know, but it's nice because it comes in the cans and they're very scenic and then you can turn them into candles. So. Okay. So I visited Jessica in Texas and I, she was hosting me. So I took her hostess gift and I took her can of maple syrup and I think they had it for a year. They had no idea what to do with it. They're like, it's in a can. And I was like, of course it's in a can because it's a practical thing. Because in Quebec, we got to, you know, 
you know, there's like no electricity and stuff in the winter. So we need to preserve it. She's like, you don't live in Quebec and you have electricity. So <laughs> it's fine. But I'm glad you love that. Also, your wife yeah. is one of my favorite people in the universe. So I did. I did expect us to um, sidestep into some Marjorie <laughs> no, talk. I love Marjorie. So I, f- I fully expected that. I'm sure she's listening to the other room being like, I know Meg is recording the podcast. I don't know. But she knows it's you. So I'm sure she she knows what to expect. Yeah. So like just, um, just love. Just as like a complete detour, like Shireen voice memos are truly like <laughs> – we have all now converted into voice memo people on WhatsApp, but it's really fun because then I get both Marjorie recording generally what tends to be like academic explanations of theology topics to Shireen via voice memo. So then I get them like via the actual recording and then via WhatsApp and then like watching the conversation bounce back and forth. So that's like a very standard evening in the Linnean <laughs> household of... Like, my wife and Shireen are randomly talking about, like, language in religion or, you know, so it's fine. She's, you're, you're learning things. I love it. I learn all the time with you. And, like, I feel so much smarter after an afternoon. And one of the only reasons I would love to go to New York is to see you and your amazing walking tours, eating walking tours you guys craft for me, which are so special. Yeah. And you, if, that's like, how we, that's how we're tourists. Like it's where are we eating? Like the mm-hmm. other stuff is bonus, but it's just like, I mean, when we went to Montreal the last time it was really like, okay, we're on a bagel tour. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is just bonus. Like there was a park nearby and we were like, so bagels and then the park and then the other bagels. Mm-hmm. Good. That's how we craft a lot of our, because you do that for me like in the morning yeah. we started at the chelsea pier and then we ended up having bagels late afternoon because i really needed yep. pumpernickel and you guys were like no problem we can make this happen yep. so yep. it was yeah it was not a problem in new york city no it was wonderful it was it, it's like so much of the union i think that i have with my friends like beloved like chosen family it actually ends up it wasn't the love of soccer that i think it was it was actually food and yeah. i think we need to like think about this like we talk about soccer a lot but we also talk about food a fair bit yeah no that is very like I had a question so for the ICC award that I won like one of the rapid fire questions was like oh where would you want the next world cup to be awarded to after 2023 yeah and I I posed that to a group chat that we're in and literally everyone framed it immediately as like oh where do we want to go eat yeah and I mean I say that like you know, we're jumped away from burn it all down, but we get back to that too as well. Like we do, um, we've had some live shows, like the border's closed right now and there's no traveling obviously, but we had a show in New York City in 2018, which was really wonderful. Sorry, 2019 on International Women's Day. And then so Burn It All Down is essentially an intersectional feminist sports podcast. And it's like one of the first of its kind. And we all have you know, our own wheelhouses and we come together and it was just a really nice collaboration that's been going on for a while. And three and a half years in podcasting world is we're like, you know, respected elders in the space, apparently, because <laughs> we're seasoned podcasters. And when we started, I didn't know what a podcast was. I'm like, seriously, the tech boomer, you know this, because I'm always texting <laughs> Steph going, how do we do this? Um, yeah. But I didn't know what it was. I didn't listen to podcasts. And now I still actually really love audiobooks, so um, I find myself doing that. But um, it's been a really great learning space, and we've got to meet some really cool people on the show and have them on and talk about what we really want to talk about. And, you know, much like your podcast, which is very desperately needed, there's so many 
things. And we're still, I think, less than 6% of the sports podcast world are women, women featured and hosted podcasts. So we're very small and we are independent. So we have a Patreon and then we have really a dedicated community of listeners and we call them flamethrowers and they're awesome and they're great. And it, it literally works because we're a collaboration. I don't think I've ever, I actually told Jessica the other day, it's the longest positive relationship I've ever had. <laughs> I was married. Okay, but you're kids. <laughs> you can count your kids, yeah, but right? Like, that's like, <laughs> That's a dictatorship, right? So that's fine. It's fine with me. I mean, although I was married for almost 19 years, the longest positive relationship. I have positive being the operative word. Um, and it's just it's just nice. It works. And there's some there's no formula. People are like, how do you make it work? I'm like, I don't know. We're also this is a side hustle. Like, like you, this is something we do in addition to the full-time stuff. And I'm doing a lot with TSN and I really like it. And for those that don't know, TSN is a sports network. It's Canada's like one of those premier sports networks and I'm really happy to be there. They like me and my poor editor really like yeah. Darren. He's like 1200 word max. And I sent him that article was 2100 words. I was like, I'm so Yeah, sad. that's me. They, do, they just don't even give me word counts anymore. They're just like, whatever, just do it. And I'm like, okay. But, Sometimes I can be short every once in a while. This is not standard practice for me. But now that I do a little more news than I uh, necessarily enjoy like the news doesn't always need to be you know 2,000 2,500 words so one day I'll I write do, an 800 word article one day it'll happen yeah I've done it it's new you got to start you got to start breaking news because that's the only way to do yeah. it in my book um, I do want to talk to you about Canada a bit okay uh, I, I leaned on you as my Canada expert um, for my most recent mailbag in December asking you about kind of the state of the uh, Canada women's national team and you know, now we kind of have Jeff Kasuf reported that they are going to be the fourth team in She Blues Cup, which was actually what I suggested should happen in that mailbag with zero inside information. So that's personally still hilarious to me. But, you know, OK, so setting aside again, this whole concept of playing games through a pandemic, especially with the state kind of that we are in in this nation, let's assume that this is safe and and doable to some extent mm -hmm. and that they are actually allowed to come into this country which i'm guessing they will be but mm -hmm. where you know one of the things that we talked about is like i've always viewed canada as kind of this like they're so frustratingly full of potential and one of the things that you talked about is yes they have this kind of core veteran presence we will talk more about christine sinclair in a moment but they also have this whole core of youth coming up through the system new head coach, whole bunch of stuff, um, qualified for the Olympics, obviously, again, TBD if they will happen, but let's assume that they are. Where do you see, you know, She Believes Cup and, and a competition like that um, actually really playing a role in tuning them up for a major event? I think there's a lot of things with uh, the Canadian women's national team. Like, I love them, but I've also been incredibly frustrated at, you know, they seem to do not great at World Cups. I mean, France was an indication of that. Um, we have, I mean, there's so many ways I could even get at this question. Like, Priestman coming in and having worked with John Herdman before, a former coach, and then having gone to England and working with... Um, our favorite, Ugh. our favorite Phil Neville. I've even, I've even hesitated to say his name because I haven't said it in the year 2021. And it's been like a Neville-less year thus far, but that's okay. Um, like, can, can, she can survive that and go on. And I, 
feel like there's a tenacity there. And I was watching a recent interview and this uh, soccer writer, I was just like searching through prepping for this interview as well. And um, was saying that sometimes vets can be roadblocks for the new blood coming up. And I mean, Jordan Huynema is killing it at PSG. She started, you know, on the bench. She's pretty much a starter now at this point in the season. She's been fantastic. And Ashley Lawrence, whom I love, is probably, she's very all round. Like, I feel like she has skill sets that can be utilized in different ways. Like, I don't want to say she's like a crystal done, <laughs> but in a way, I feel like she has an attacking capability, although she's in the back. And Janine Becky, uh, you know, fights for minutes at Man City, but she's pretty, she's doing great. And I think, and, and of course, Jesse Fleming and Chelsea. So we're seeing a lot of that. And Steph Laba has just come back to Rosengard. So she's... I do want to give a shout to Nichelle Prince, oh, yeah. who I think is a completely underrated part of Houston Dash. Like I thought she had a really good 2020 and can be a, a big piece for them going forward. Yeah. And under the leadership of Sophie Schmidt too, because I think Sophie's mm-hmm. a good leader. I don't, like she's not a Cincy, but she's Sophie Schmidt and she's a vet and she's really good um, in that her energy is fantastic. And then you've got players like Quinny that need a lot, like they need, that encouragement and that consistency also having a coaching change this way it's not as if canada hasn't seen this type of disruption before like it happened it happens quite often it happened with erdman and they got to the podium at the olympics but i think my my thing is consistency and my thing is and we have to keep in mind that being a ranked eighth in a world is great sure but we're also one of the only countries that doesn't have a domestic women's league and people forget this. It's not just soccer. Like, it's a crisis in Canada, in my opinion. Maybe crisis is a strong word, but it's a huge problem. We don't have a basketball, nor hockey even, although the NWHL has the team in Toronto. But we don't have sustainable development leagues for, like, our – we don't have national leagues for our professional players. Like, this is a huge problem. And I know a lot of people consider Portland an extension of Canada because of Christine Sinclair anyway, but it's not. And Canada is failing. And it's failing its women's soccer players, and it has been for a very long time. Um, People could argue that I'm not objective, but I need to be accurate. Like, I don't (laughs) think Canada soccer is doing a great job, and don't even get me started on what their board looks like, which very much speaks to who makes the decisions. These are all things that interlope here. So what's happening with the Canadians women's team is very much a product of the system in which they exist. Right. I did want to – I had had – tipped you that I wanted to ask you about Canada and NWSL in particular. Obviously, you know, there is no team based in Canada. We've always heard a lot of rumors, both about, I think Vancouver has really kind of led the way Mm. on that front. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Montreal has kind of potentially been in the picture. Toronto, I think, has now kind of maybe like jumped a few spots up thanks to Josie Altidore has kind of, you know, been very public on Twitter about like, oh, yes, okay, Toronto, here we go. Um, Josie Altidore is my and- favorite Canadian men's player, <laughs> even though he's not Canadian. <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, <laughs> let me have um, this, Meg. Let me have this, okay? So I do, I like, where are the pressure points, I guess? You know, it felt it feels like Canada is kind of mostly hoping, okay, if we can get a team, that's at least a step in the right direction, right? Like it might actually be a place to funnel players or, you know, 
both because I think you could say like, okay, now there's a senior team in NWSL, but there's also, you can install an academy system mm-hmm. below that maybe as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's smart to to think in that sort of scale of if we get an NWSL team, that's a step in the right direction, or does the the scale need to be like, no, we actually have to instill some sort of larger national picture for women's soccer in this country? I feel like many of those things... Like, I think like a combination. It's not an either or, no, it's a it, both and. Yeah, it needs to be like a strategy in which, I mean, Canada soccer is based in Vancouver. There's a lot of really strong soccer in Ontario. But having connections, like I have a daughter who's very competitive in, in soccer as well. And the way to get wit into the system is very difficult. Like it starts super young on the basis of a bunch of dads who are coaching teams. They literally funnel you into that way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just not something, and it's expensive. Like, you know, very much people say it's a, in the United States, there's been discussion about soccer being a rich, like Pino said this, I think it's a rich. Oh yeah. No, this is, this is a very standard conversation. Pay to play. play. Same thing in Canada. And, they miss and then the soccer in BC gets a lot of attention. Like BC soccer is provincially one of the strongest, you know, federations in, in, in the country. And what that looks like, does that mean that kids that are in Halifax and the other coast don't see that? Like there's, you know, soccer in Quebec is very strong. Like, you know, women's soccer there is, is incredible too. It's strong programs, but I think the leadership is scattered and they're not necessarily connected. And this will shock you. But when there's men in roles of power with soccer, it gets, I know that's unheard of, right? Um, it gets really fraught. And that's what we're looking at in terms of a system. I think an academy system that was more accessible to people would be good. And also the rates of which girls drop out of soccer by 14 and 15 is terrible. It's terribly sad. And this idea and I remember being at a soccer conference and Cindy Parlo Cohn was actually one of the speakers at this conference and she was talking about back then she was talking about how they overtrain kids to death and like they over and hyper train and how she thought that was problematic and there should be balance and the way things are done and she was speaking very and I hesitate to say this because I'm not used to calling the head of a soccer federation sensible so it's still new for me um considering who her predecessor was. So, um, and I can make the same comments of Canada. I'm very happy to critique Canada soccer, which is why they won't uh, return my emails. Uh, thank you, Richard Scott, for being so nice to me and returning my texts. Uh, but otherwise, I think that there are huge ways in which the rollout hasn't been great. And I feel, unfortunately, Canada soccer is haphazard still. It, we look to the United States as a model for the way soccer, and yes, the population is enormous in the United States, but also the way that women's soccer has been encouraged. And Canada has a great soccer, women's soccer history. And I think that gets overlooked. And we have a tendency to only support them at Olympic or World Cup time. And we forget about what happens in the middle and therein lies the problem. Right. So that... Yeah. That for me, it's not a solution. I mean, I, I don't want to sit out here and go, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But in terms of, you know, encouraging girls and having, uh, you know, different points, but also 
in the upper echelons in Soccer Canada, it is also super white and looking what that looks like. And also looking at the Soccer Canada board and what that looks like. It needs to represent what your players look like. And yes, right now, Kadisha Buchanan is the most decorated soccer player, other, you know, in the sense of the award she was given from Soccer Canada, rather, and then, you know, Alfonso Davies. So we can be like, oh, we're diverse because look at Fonzie and, you know, Kadisha, but that's not how this works. Right. Do you think that there's maybe any impact, you know, CONCACAF has made some recent moves in terms of figuring out like how to fill out programming, right? And the fact that Karina LeBlanc, you know, pretty famous Canadian <laughs> former national team player is now leading that strategy and that planning process on the women's side of the game for CONCACAF, which again, I mean, if we want to talk about organizations that have historically kind of not necessarily done their part in this role, but now seem to be shifting into this, okay, they're putting women in, in roles of power. They are putting, you know, Karina LeBlanc in a, in a position where she at least has some, I don't know exactly how empowered she might be, but I feel like she at least, you know, like we have seen some progress happening. Um, I think that this is what I think maybe we're both talking about kind of in the same thing is like, you can complain a lot, but I think it also, make sense to consider how far things have come since mm -hmm. we have started. Like I think about CONCACAF when I first started covering women's soccer and then now where CONCACAF is right mm -hmm. now. And I'm like, those are not the same mm -hmm. organization. Like it's completely unrecognizable. And had you told me when I first started like, oh, CONCACAF is going to fill out all of this women's program and, and actually have a head of the women's side of the game and like you know, have kind of like this, this branding around women's soccer, right? Like there are points of progress we can point to, and there are still, there's still room for opportunity. But, you know, do you think that there's maybe some benefit to U.S. is kind of still in its own sphere when it comes to CONCACAF? And I think we have all thought a lot about how some of this stuff might potentially really benefit Mexico, mm. But where is the, the potential benefit for Canada with some of what the stuff that we're seeing come out of CONCACAF at this point? Well, I think one of the things, and this is something that Priestman said in an interview recently, was just sort of like, we have to look at where we are on the podium and we want to do better. So she's, you know, in, in terms of the Olympic podium, that doesn't actually include the U.S. because they didn't medal. Sorry, I know that's a sore spot, but like just thinking about what we have to do. And arguably, we're going to be second to the USA. We have been for a very long time. And USA being that powerhouse, not just in CONCACAF, but in the world, like that's the bar. And the bar is high, like it's high. Um, not just about the chemistry, but the coaching strategies and, you know, all the things. And even with a shift from Ellis to Savako, like so much of what we saw wasn't just bad coaching or sorry, good coaching or versus good playing. It was a culmination. And I don't think we've been able to hit that yet, but I'm hoping we're getting there. And like Katrina LeBlanc is amazing. She's a legend. She's a stalwart on the team. Her energy is fantastic. She's also a new mom and like super busy. Um, and I'm a little hesitant to see how much freedom she has in terms of doing things, especially if she's like appointed by FIFA who also throws a Fatima Samora under the bus whenever they can. So I'm a little bit reluctant to trust something that I know is inherently rotten in the core. I hope her being, you know, handling the women's side of CONCACAF, there will be more. And I know she's very outspoken about, you know, advancing the women's game and amplifying it. She considers herself, you know, like really like a, a keeper of the women's game in every sense and in the metaphorical and the literal sense, she's a keeper. She's a guardian of that. And 
I think she takes that very, like, very, like, you know, seriously and responsibly. But to see what will happen, and particularly in Mexico, like, I think I have a lot of high hopes for Mexico. I have for a long time, and I want to see them do. Like, Tricolor needs to do. I see them having similar struggles that Canada has, like, just sort of, like, in this funk and seeing how to get it and standing in the shadow of what the United States looks like. And, you know, there have been U.S. players who maybe have dual identity that or dual citizenship that can go play for Mexico. Like, we know this. The Mexican women's team was started by a U.S. citizen, in, in effect. Like, Monica Gonzalez went and played and started up that team, pretty much. So, you know, what that looks like and how they can be in very much... We're not out of the woods for being sustainable in our women's teams. And, you know, a couple of years ago, or just before the Women's Cup started, I had talked and written a piece for Time magazine on how let's celebrate what's good, but let's also remember what's happening. Denmark was on strike. Like, like Hederberg didn't even go. Right. <laughs> like, let's right. not pretend that, like, you know, like Ireland was in a mess. They were striking as well. Women, like, you know, the women in Nigeria didn't get paid for a really long time. Pakistan hadn't had a match in five years, their camp was inactive. There was an incredible sexual abuse case, and 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 the whole, like it was awful. Um, in Afghanistan, like there's there's struggles all around the world. So we're still not out of the woods yet, but how do we keep the momentum going? Because at, at the same time as keeping the momentum going, we're trying to fix everything that's happening. Like what happened to Colombia? Where did they go? Like where did they go? Seriously, like yeah. they were one of the most riv riveting of 2015 teams in the group stages i still remember lady underrod and i was like i love this where where did that what happened there yeah yeah i mean and that's kind of you know thinking about being in the mix zone at um the usa chile game right and having christiana endler come through and just kind of hold court for 10 minutes because there were you know a handful of us steph young included of of journalists who wanted to speak to her because like this is the only real chance a lot of the times where you actually get a time to like lift these players up, right? Like that's kind of the the double-edged sword of having World Cups, Olympics, like these big international events because that's where you get all of the attention and that's also where you get a lot of the access. But then the question becomes like, okay, how do you tell those stories in the meantime? But like, you know, we have teams drop off the radar or mm -hmm. we have teams where, you know, they'll drop off FIFA rankings because they haven't played in a, a huge amount of time and the pandemic is only going to accentuate a lot of those concerns for like that level of team right it's not like where here in the u.s you know u.s soccer is obviously affected i think international soccer in general was a lot more affected mm -hmm. by the pandemic than maybe domestic mm -hmm. leagues which were smaller and, and able to handle it better but like you the u.s national team is not fundamentally like yes they lost training time but there's no like danger of oh this national team is not going to exist anymore because they weren't able to play because of a pandemic whereas there are still very much programs that are under that threat yeah canada hadn't so. played a match since march 2020 so <laughs> like that's a long time for a functioning you know like top a 10 number team. number eight yeah, team yeah, was, in the world say that yeah top 10 yeah, that, yeah. that hurt. it's embarrassing, but like that's that's what it is. And, you know, I think there's ways that we need to think about how to apply the strategies of that and the excitement and the energy. There's so much energy about the USA. There is. And my disdain for Julie Ertz's playing style, notwithstanding, I'll probably get a hate mail for this. OK, like she's like a Zamboni. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I 
I, I can't. So I prefer the Wendy Renald, like defensive, <laughs> uh, like maneuver. I'll try to finesse it that way. But I'm just saying there's things to be learned. There's a, there's a grace from the team. There's interesting characters on your team, for sure, some. I may or may not be blocked by some, but <laughs> my point is, is that there's also a chemistry that's undeniable and hopefully support from a nation, which is where I think, I'm not saying that other teams and other countries are not supportive, but the way, and the way that they're encouraged to win and that I coached middle school soccer for a very long time. And although it's obviously not the same thing, one of the takeaways I had with that, this has always stayed with me. It wasn't the skill level that was the problem. It was the confidence level. And in amateur and in professional sport, I still see that. I still see soccer players, be it Canada, be it Denmark, being at wherever, that feel like there's always something in the back of their heads if it's society or whatnot saying you don't belong here. Women's soccer definitely belongs here. Like, you know, one of the greatest stories for me and the greatest performances was Hamai uh, Kamari Sawa, who I will forever love. And not just because she accepted her player of the year FIFA in a kimono, which was like wildly beautiful, but how she took a national tragedy and lifted her team up and brought them back and, you know, suffered tons of horrible abuse online. I know because I remember writing yeah. about it a very long time ago. People were horribly racist. Well, and the jokes were like, as much as I love the women's soccer community, they can be terrible. So, you know, like I saw that and I saw her grace and I saw her resilience. I'm like, this is how women's soccer and this is how women's athletes broadly are. They, it's Women don't get into sports and sports media for the money. And let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, right after this, Meg and I will like, I go fly off on our private jet somewhere to an island with our closest friends. That's not happening. Like, we don't, that's not, that's not it. Like, you get yeah. into this because you love it. You critique it because you love it. You want to make it better because you love it. And right. so much, whether it's women's hockey, whether it's women's soccer, like you've got, you know, Carmascato, like coaching the younger team. You've got every time Kadisha Buchanan comes back, She'll help Ashley Lawrence out with in Toronto and in the area around here doing clinics for girls. You've got Aaron McLeod coming back. You've got Melissa Tancredi doing clinics. Like some of my teammates um, attended her clinics a couple of years ago. And it was it's amazing. And I think it's it's wonderful that there's always that looking out for the next generation, which is quite frankly not something that men ever have to worry about. They don't think about the ge generation because they know that it'll just yeah. come. Right. Right. It's something that you just take for granted mm -hmm. as like that. Okay. Yeah. There's always going to be another NBA player coming up. You don't ever have to think about it. So, <laughs> all right. I do want to, I want to shift us into our, our final topic here, but one of the things that I think we talk about a lot in various formats is really how you stay motivated and like engaged in this work, right? You just said like, we, we're not out here doing this for money <laughs> because we're not, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel extremely privileged to actually have a full-time job in this. Like, again, like that is not a common thing. Um, and so, but also at the end of the day, like this is what I always try to stress is like, yes, it's might it might be like a dream job to some, but like dream job also still includes the word job and still includes like work, which is not always... <laughs> I always tell you, you know. work way too hard and the athletics should be paying you 10 times what they do. I tell you this all the time. You work so hard. 
Yeah. I mean, I took vacation for the first time and I came back yesterday and I was just like, oh God, okay, like I got to... I got to get back into this headspace because I had probably checked out a little too efficiently. But I want to know how do you how do you stay like engaged in because also like it's not it's also like not pleasant sometimes like especially when you're talking about changing structural inequities, right? Or you know like it's kind of this uphill f- climb day after day after day and you know whether that's maybe the release of a group chat or you know, we were both kind of like in this informal thing called Disruptors FC that that stems out of a conference that we were both at in Princeton. But like, what what basically like recharges your batteries every day? I think for a while I was going on the uh, instead of recharging the batteries, which is a really good way to put it. I was just doing the battery, 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 keep going till it dies, and I was kind of existing in that model not great. I think the recharging the battery and retooling is is a much better thing. And to answer your question, very basically community, I found a community within this and that's what keeps me going. Whether it's a group chat, whether it's Disruptors FC, which is really important and there's some pretty badass people in this group who do like Jermaine Scott who's like we love and you know co-authored a fair report with Brenda about you know anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, and, and the whiteness of sport in, in North America, in, in CONCACAP specifically, um, rather Turtle Island and, and what that looks like. And there's so many things that keep me here in terms of colleagues and friends and community. And there's a lot of things at the same time that are like, Shereen, just open a cat cafe. Like, why, why are you doing this? This is exhausting. And I was on my way to Portland um, and... I was on this, uh, this was years ago. I can't imagine being on a plane again. But, uh, and this lady's like, what do you do, dear? This very sweet lady. And I was like, oh, I'm a sports writer. And she's like, oh, what kind? I said, well, I focus on the intersections of racism, misogyny, and sports. And she looks at me and she's like, why? And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know. <laughs> so for three hours, I was like, oh, my God, why am I doing this? And then I, I think it's come to a place where, uh, I also came into this career late. Like I was in my thirties when I started doing this full time. I was full time mom. I have four children, and uh, I was a frontline worker in social services for a while. And those things all led me to this path. And I think not taking my work, I, I'm very de- dedicated and devoted and passionate about the work I do, which is also a lot on Muslim women in sports, which intersects with global soccer in many levels. But just like no one's doing it. And now that I've shifted, I'm doing my, I'm in grad school and doing academic work about it, work in it, is that there's so little on it. Like I'm doing a, a self-directed study this semester on racialized women in sports media in Canada. There's literally zero scholarship on this. And that's, that'll be my next conversation with Marge because I have other with Mar- like I'm, I talk to Marge about everything, mostly like spirituals, <laughs> religious stuff. Yes. But then, you know, you guys are great because you're so your breadth of knowledge is so great. And but things that I'm looking at, there's huge gaps, not just in the academy, but in sports media that bounce back and forth. And I'm, I'm not thinking it can't be done, but I'm like, I can start this process because now in women's soccer, there's like Faduma Olau, who's at the Telegraph, who's a Somali hijab wearing, amazing, lovely young person. And she texts me all the time with her frustrations. And I'm like, I'm so proud you're here. Like I am at this point, I think the only full-time sports writer who wears hijab in the continent. 
There used to be three of us, and now there's only me, because one who was with Sports Illustrated left the industry. Can I blame her? No. It's it's not great. Yeah, there are Muslim women, there's South Asian diasporic women. Sure, there's racialized women, but like you really, there's nobody like you out there. It's not great, Meg, you know that. And it can get lonely. So when you find that community of people, you find those disruptors. And that's literally what it is. Like disruption doesn't mean chaos and anarchy, although Brenda would really want it to mean all of those things. <laughs> um, it's an amplification of each other. It's the supporting each other. And I don't know if people understand how lucky they are to have you and stuff and like Sandra even like who all of you like even people doing the work that they need to in this and um just like different sites out there like equalizer I know that the athletic is definitely dedicated to this I know that other sports organizations are really looking at what those conversations at TSN and what will our coverage look like and uh, for the 2019 women's world cup TSN had the first all women's panel and which was very important in Canada. Yeah, they were all white. And I, you know, had some comments about that. But my point was, it was unprecedented. It was 2019 and unprecedented. Like, why? So and are you the only full time full time women soccer writer in the United States? Yeah, I mean, Jeff Kasuf also counts like I'm, I'm full time at, you know, like essentially a mainstream mm-hmm. sport. So like there's two of us. Um, I think Jeff would also uh, argue that he would like more time actually writing and and not necessarily. I mean, like he also has to manage the entire site yeah, he does. on his own, too. Right. Like he is he's building something from scratch. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just got to walk in and, you know, basically set up a Google account and then and file things. Right. Like I, I have a system place around me he's really trying to and as someone who came up through equalizer Mm -hmm. like i very much know that work but it is not i i don't i honestly don't miss it just because of both like personal expense but also you're trying to do everything so but think about that that. was also in the united states there's two of you that's wild like the kin like the whatchamacallit the toronto maple leafs have like three columnists dedicated to them like first of all why and secondly (laughs) like Oh my gosh, when you think about like these football teams out there, like not proper football, like NFL teams, they have like three reporters. Like what? It's just the the disparities are wild to me is all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I think about like going to, so Jill Ellis's last game as head coach was in Chicago and they played at the the same stadium where the the Bears play, Mm -hmm. right? And I just remember walking into that (laughs) press box, which is... I don't know, at least a quarter length of the stadium, right? If not more. And we were maybe taking up like two areas. And one of the like PR people from US Soccer is like, this place is full on NFL game days. And like here we're like, this is so much like, I mean, we took up at best a tenth of it at best. And it's just like, and and there were really no, you know, like any constable who's done like really, really good work covering the Chicago Red Stars, like actually paying attention to the women's soccer team in her actual market, right? But like in terms of, you know, you think about like the big traditional um, Chicago newspapers and media and like, but they're there for, for Bears games and they probably have multiple people. So yeah, that is kind of what what we're talking about when we talk about all of the we'll talk we'll we'll call it the opportunities opportunity okay so just a quick question did you get free food in the press box yeah yeah u.s soccer feeds you okay good 
Yeah. Because, like, I remember... I will say, like, the best press box food I will still always say is Portland. Whenever Portland... If you go to a Thorns game mm. and have a media pass, um, I, I mean, I think that they do a little bit better spread for MLS games, but, like, it is still... And when they host championships, like, then it's legit. Like, every time Portland has hosted a, a championship, everyone is like, yes. <laughs> the media meals. Um, the last time I was in the press box was at BMO. Because um, I wasn't in the press boxes when I was in France, although I went to the games. Um, just because applying for a press pass for FIFA was exhausting. And I was like, forget it. It was a lot of work. <laughs> it was a lot of work. Can, I was like, can verify. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my gosh. So, um I last time I was in press box was at BMO um, for the Canada Mexico game before the World Cup, and I was fasting, and the spread was really good. <laughs> and it was also something else. I walked in that room, and like I was the only racialized woman. And no, I'm sorry, there was the woman from um, Mexican sports media, but Avery, my friend, uh, he's a black sports writer in Toronto. He was the only other one, and he walked in and never missed Madam in person. I'm like Avery, he's like Shireen, and people are like you know each other. I'm like, no, this is the first time we're meeting. But like, <laughs> you just it was it was also that. But he was like, let me get you a plate, and I'm like, I can't, I'm fasting. So I actually haven't had recent press box food, which I need to get to Portland for a game for. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want people to get the impression that this is like anything fantastic. Like it's just <laughs> you have your own scale, right? Of um, there are some NWSL teams I will not I will not expose at this point in time that are just like the bottles of water are in like the the plastic thing from BJ's, and also um, we got the snack pack of Doritos or Lay's. So take your pick. You can have two if you want. Like I mean, there is there is some real scale of <laughs> how much you're actually going to get fed at a game, but every once in a while, like U.S. soccer, they'll always feed you. And they typically, I will say, depends on the stadium, but usually the cookies are, like, they go. The cookies go. go. The last yeah. time when I was there, Canada soccer gave everybody pens. So I took, like, this is one of my advice to, like, aspiring sports journalists. When you go to conference, take those pens, take those free pads, take all the pens, because you will, I don't care how fancy or digital equipment is, you need those pens. I, take, I took, yeah. like, four yeah. Took like four pounds. All right. Yeah. <laughs> we will end on that note. Although I do, before I have you tell folks how to find you, um, I promised Christine Sinclair talk. And so I want to give you your natural born right as a Canadian to um, just sing your praises of your national icon, Christine Sinclair. And I, I will put maybe like a 60 second limit on you, but just just go. Just tell me what you think about Christine Sinclair. Okay. Chris, 60 seconds really means 90, and I don't follow <laughs> rules, so I, I love you, Meg, and I respect that. Um, she is undoubtedly one of the greatest footballers, and not her, like, international goals. I think the way in which this rolled out was really funny, because we always joke that we want her to do press and have more. So I don't know anyone who might have enjoyed this pandemic more than her, so she could just simply be left alone when she broke the, like... Broke the record for the most amount of international goals scored by a player, male, like men or women, ever. So she was really happy to kind of go under. And then Canada Soccer awarded her the moment of the year, whereas they gave Alfonso Davies and Kadisha Buchanan player of the year. She was also just recently awarded, you know, best player by the Canadian press, uh, soccer player athlete of the year, rather, for that record shattering thing she's done. Um, I've always been fascinated by her because like she's my role model for like Batman with her face guard when she broke her nose but also you know one of the most saddest and 
moments of injustice in sports history has, will always be the 2012 Olympics between Canada and the U.S. when she had three goals, three came back. And that seriously, when I think about injustice, I think about so many things. But I also think about that stupid ass call against Aaron McLeod. Who does that call? Anyway, it leads back to St. Cecilia say She leads her team with grace and humility. She leads her team. She's also incredibly private. I would love for her out of a reality TV show. I know it's never going to happen. But also the way in which she made Portland her home. And she is part of the reason that soccer exploded in the way it did for women's soccer. She's been a mainstay. She's a stalwart in the Canadian team, no doubt. And, you know, people say that Jessie Fleming is being groomed to be like her because they're similar and they're quiet and they're focused and they're, like, dedicated. And I think there's a real pride she has like you feel that pride I've been in pressers with her and she avoids mixed zones but <laughs> post-match pressers she will do them she will she do will them reluctantly like, she yeah it's how how quickly can she get out of there and you but. can tell like there's just some like I love talking to Ashley Lawrence stuff lobby is wonderful to talk to sync was just like I'm, I'm I'm good someone else want to take this <laughs> and you know it's it it's it's something to see because I've watched her for so long. I've watched her for, she's been playing for a long time and it ages myself. But to see the excitement, like my boys at one point could not name any men's player other than Josie Altidore, um, for, even though he plays for TFC and not Canada, but they could name the starting lineup of the Canadian women's team. Like she has literally single-handedly in some ways elevated soccer to a point where people now give a shit. Or did before, because before Alfonso came up, it wasn't what it is now. Soccer six, five, six years ago, people knew who like Christine Sinclair was. And we want to keep that going. And she talks about the next generation all the time. And I, I, think, she, I think she should be on money. I call her the co-prime minister of Canada with Marie-Philippe Poulin, who's the captain of the women's hockey team. Also, Meg, you and I didn't get into that. But for everybody, yeah, we didn't. For everybody else, we're like... I love Meg and I would literally kill people for her. However, it stops at women's hockey. It stops there. And I saw an interview between Marie-Philippe Poulain and Hillary Knight recently. And they're, they're teammates on Les Canadiennes and they're in PWHPA together. And Hillary says in this documentary, if you can still find it, called The Dream Gap. And she's like, well, you know, we're teammates and we're friends. Like, they're very good friends. But she's like, when we get on the ice... For Canada versus USA, forget yeah, it. Yeah, they hate each they other. Hate each they other. hate each other. <laughs> Yet so many of the the Canadian. I mean, we have so many now Canadian American marriages. Oh yeah, with babies. So it is, you know, a, a fun, strange relationship of just pure hatred, but then also like the nicest human beings. Oh, they're once lovely. You get off the ice, yeah. Women's so. hockey players are honestly like wonderful people. Like it's just really yes. interesting. Yes. So, I mean, I always get back. If I feel a little heated, I'll just remind myself that Carouette and Julie Chu have a lovely family together. They do live in Montreal, though. Okay? I'm just yeah. going to say that. So, anyways, I love you, Meg. Yeah. I just can't support your hockey choices. That's that's fine. We have the liberty. We have, we have the, the liberty. liberty. That is our – that we have our matching hoodies. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's call it there. Please tell folks how they can find you, how they can find Burn It All Down, your work on TSN, whatever you would like to send people to. I live on Twitter Street, and um, so my handle is at underscore Shireen Ahmed underscore. You can find us, Burn It All Down, is Burn It All Down Pod on Twitter as well. Um, I have a website, www 
www.shereenamid.com. All my work is up there. And I, you can also find me in WhatsApp, leaving voice notes about certain things and things I can't tweet. So I'm also, you know, making fun of my kids somewhere as well, who I, who I love and trying to get yeah. my cat to love me. So. Right. Right. All right. Well, thank you for taking an hour of your day. Um, again, you know, we are obviously friends, but it also is nice to talk to you about work things in a, in an actual work capacity instead of just us sending voice memos to each other, which is really our, <laughs> our standard mechanism of, of conversation. Two writers so that you. are too tired to type, so they just leave voice notes. So totally. And thank you so much for having me. I love what you've done with this podcast, and I'm so excited to see your star rise. All right. Thank you so much to Shereen for joining us uh, and taking the time and also being a fan club about my wife. Uh, so we are back in the, the swing of things. The timing is a little awkward for next week's draft with the draft at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday night and then likely media availabilities first thing on Friday across the team. So basically stay tuned as to when next week's episode will actually drop. One more thing as always, Georgia. The organizing effort was incredible and from so many, and if you have not read Chantel Jennings reporting on how the WNBA players help shift the race in Reverend Warnock's favor as part of his Senate race, right? One of the links to her stories is in the episode description and, and the show notes. And I also want to give a special shout out to Anne, Marjorie's cousin, who has been working on the John Ossoff campaign for a while. And my wife and I got the all caps, we did it, text at 3.17 a.m. on the dot on Technically Wednesday. Um, so also in a small fit of productiveness on New Year's Day, I updated my own personal site at meglinhand.com, but also built a little home for this podcast to make it easier to have a central home for everything and to enable you to share this podcast in a hopefully easier fashion. So now you can visit fulltimepod.com whenever you'd like. Again, that link will be in the show notes as always. Um, there are links out to all the major platforms that the show is on, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, The Athletic, you name it. And your subscriptions, ratings, and reviews all help grow the show as well as your engagement and your retweets and your Instagram stories and all of that good stuff. So thank you as always. And now that we are at the end of this episode, just my reminder from the top of the show, if you do enjoy this podcast and do not yet subscribe to The Athletic, but would enjoy more women's soccer coverage and more sports coverage in general, the link to do so is theathletic.com slash full-time. You can start your new subscription at $3.99 per month right now. So you can find me, as always, on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.